0: A wonderful reading. Good morning. My name is Jonathan. Uh, I've been a member of this church since last September uh, when my adorable wife Maria and I moved to London from Germany. So uh, that's why my English is not perfect Ed, as you may expect from someone who's preaching to you today. But uh, well, and if you may have questions, well, if he's from Germany, why is he so dark? Well, my parents are Italians, so I'm Italian actually, although I'm from Germany. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the reason why. I'm really thankful for the uh, thankful for the honor of being here today, and share with you the incredible uh, the incredible impact Psalm 91 has had on my life and on a lot of other people. It is a really wonderful psalm full of words of um, comfort and of hope. And for all the centuries of of Christianity, Psalm 91 has often been used to give comfort for for people that are in war. In fact, it is also called the soldier's psalm. And it's often used in military in order to comfort people. Myself, I'm, uh, my job is as a war journalist, so I've been to war, I've reported from several spots of war. I'm currently in London because I'm studying terrorism and radicalization. So I've always been, I've traveled a lot in those countries where there's war, uh, war and diseases and violence. And Psalm 91 has always had something incredibly near and intimate to me. And I've often heard a really wonderful story, often by several, especially by military chaplains in, um, in Iraq and in Afghanistan. I've often heard uh, by American uh, pastors who are helping soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan. A wonderful story I want to share with you. It's set it's in the, during the First World War. There was a, a brigade, an infantry brigade, called the 91st Brigade, just like the Psan. And the soldiers in that unit were young. They were merely 18, 19. They were from the Midwest, the Rocky Mountains. And they were called the Green Soldiers because they had never seen combat. They had Thank you. And they had never seen the war. They had no idea. And the commander of their unit, he was a devout Christian. And what he did was he took the Psalm 91. He printed it on several cards. Gave it to all the soldiers that were in his unit. He summed them all together and said, we're going to recite and repeat this psalm every day during our combat here in France. And they did it every day. And they were put comp- and and in they were put in one of the worst areas of the First World War. Chateau Terry, the Argan, one of the f- worst places of the war with the most violence. And something incredible happened. Nobody of that infantry be great died in the end. What a wonderful story, isn't it? So unbelievable. It's so incredibly, that shows us how things can work. Well, there's only one problem with that story. It's not true. <laughs> we would say maybe today it's fake news. It was invented and it, someone, have, someone created it, assumedly. I mean, it didn't come from... It has to come from somewhere. Someone imagined it in order to encourage maybe people. And it is shared maybe it was shared by email and by WhatsApp and people who are maybe preaching to soldiers use it because it's such a wonderful illustration of the gospel. It shows so much how people simply can happen. And, because, and why was this story probably created? It's because we humans have a need of stories. We want stories that give us comfort. We want stories that give us hope. Maybe we want something that gives us us a feeling of a safety net in our life. We want to have that security that nothing will happen. And even worse, as Christians, we sometimes have that feeling that we have a special protection, that we have kind of a better health insurance given by God because we're Christian and we believe, and that even less is going to happen to us. And sometimes we change the meaning of the Word of God. We don't use it as it would be something that we have to use in faith. Instead, we want to use it as a false understood holy words. We want to use it as a spell. And, it, and as it, we just by reciting, for example, Psalm 91, we could change something. And that's because sometimes you want to, because faith is a complicated matter. It seems to us that having faith is so complicated, but we long for something that is way more simple. We just want some magic. We can stand up in the morning, just recite some verses when we are in need, and say, okay, everything is done, my day is secure. I have something that is going to secure my family, my children, everybody's going to be safe. I'll do that tomorrow again. And we use it like it's medicine. Well, today, take Psalm 91, Psalm 27, then the uh, Sermon on the Mountain, and you're going to be fine for today. Come tomorrow, and we'll check if you need some other medication. And that's kind of often how we would like that faith would happen, just by doing something, and everything is going to be fine. But that's not exactly how it's supposed to be. That's not how faith is supposed to be. And I've witnessed myself in, while working in, 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 as a war journalist and being at war that Psalm 91 doesn't work that way. A few years ago, I was in Syria. It was 2012. And I was with the, with the rebels. And I was documenting how they were fighting against the Syrian regime. And I was in Homs, it was a city, a small city in the middle of Syria, and there were house-to-house combats. So practically, the Syrian rebels were fighting against soldiers of the Syrian regime. One house, a few soldiers were in one house and fighting against soldiers in the other house, standing by the windows, looking for someone they can shoot, and then Continued to the other houses. And I was with them. And in that particular day, something had changed in that situation because the Syrian regime had, for the first time in that city, sent some snipers and the Syrian rebels who had absolutely no idea how to handle snipers, just as I had no idea how to handle snipers, And those, they had absolutely no idea. And so we were standing there. I was trying to document what was happening on the front line. And a lot of soldiers, a lot of rebels, more than a dozen of the union I was with had died on that morning. And so it was getting late. And I was sitting, I was standing next to, to the window, trying to get a few good shots with my photo camera. And suddenly I felt like there was something warm in my body, and I looked down, and I suddenly I saw that my trousers, as well as my shoe, was completely red. And I had no idea what actually had happened, so I looked down and said, OK, let us me check whatever happened. And I put up my trousers and looked, and I just realized that I was shot. My leg was shot. I had an incredibly big hole in my leg. I had no pain in that moment but I said okay something happened right here and well how should I handle that and so the commander of the union I was with according to um, a few things we had established before I was on the front line he said well you know what's going to happen now we don't have time to take care of you you're not a soldier so you know where our base camp is which was six kilometers away back in the suburbs I said well I really hope, because you're a nice guy, that we're going to see you tonight at our base. Um, God bless you, and good luck. And so they moved to the next house, and I was there alone, it was getting dark. And I said, okay, that's so... um, What was that again with Psalm 91, that nothing would happen to me? (laughs) Was it? I don't know, it's just... I remember there was something, just like I had kind of a tr- special travel insurance. It was the soldier's sound, I guess, well, probably it's going to work for journalists too. <laughs> it didn't work. I was shot. I had no idea. So while I was working, so I stood up and tried to walk back those six kilometers. It was getting dark. And I remembered the words of Psalm 91. And there were a few words that really I remembered in that moment. And while everyone was shooting in the darkness, while I was going back and on the road line, on the side of the roads, there were dead soldiers, dead women, dead children. People actually crying for for help because they were dying on the streets and nobody uh, was able to help them. I remembered verse 5 of Psalm 91, which says, You will not fear the terror of night, not the arrow that flies by day. And verse seven, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Well said. Well, actually, it came near me and it hit me too. So, and <laughs> how does it work? Why does Psalm 91, the, the special, the special help I have because I'm a Christian? Normally, God should help me more because I'm a Christian and should work. Why didn't it help? And that's a question that I know I'm not the only one who who was on this point and said, well, but you promised God that everything would go okay. I mean, what's the benefit of actually being a Christian if right now I'm in a bad situation? Why can't you help me? What's the problem? I, I thought that once I have a relationship with God, everything will be fine. My life would be nice. My children would finally start to behave. My husband would be a nicer man. I thought all this would happen now that I'm a Christian. Why doesn't it work? What happened? What's what's in the Bible? Why doesn't it work? It's such. I mean, Psalm 91 is so, so well written, so nice words, so nice promises. But does it actually work? And that were a few questions I had. And then I looked into the Bible and discovered a few things I want to share with you. The really nice thing is that actually in the New Testament, there's someone who takes a few verses of Psalm 91 and proposes them and discusses them again. And it's someone with incredibly power. Well, it's not Jesus. It's uh, not one of the apostles. It's not Paul. Well, it's actually, actually the devil who starts to talk about Psalm 91 in Matthew 4. And it's something I just want to read to you. And Jesus was going... It's a situation in Matthew 4. Jesus was going to the wilderness. Jesus was led by the spirits into the wilderness. It's Matthew 4. Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said... If you are the Son of God, tell those stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then again, the devil comes, and now he starts to cite Psalm 91 and said, well, and, and he took him to the holy city before that and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, and now Psalm 91 comes, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Well, it seems like the devil is doing exactly the same thing I was doing, using Psalm 91 because it's promising something. And Jesus answers, It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He outwits him. And that's practically showing us that we are not the only ones sometimes trying to misunderstand the Holy Scriptures for our advantage. We're trying to change it. We're trying to use it because it's helpful, because we wish that Psalm 91 is kind of a guarantee that nothing bad is going to happen to us. Little does the devil know that actually Jesus is a really important part in order to understand what psalm 91 actually means in fact jesus is the fulfillment of psalm 91 jesus had in that moment the possibility to stop everything to use Psalm 91 in order to save himself and to say to the devil, well, actually, you're right, Psalm 91, is a, good, a pretty good excuse not to die on the cross. I'll take that chance. I like it. I like it here in the world. I'll stay here. Who cares about dying? It's not that nice. Uh, I think I'll skip that. Uh, let's do something else. Instead, God reacts, Jesus reacts in a completely different way. And actually, the promises of Psalm 91 were fulfilled afterwards by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. God could only promise deliverance to those who believe in him because Jesus suffered in their behalf. He rose from the dead and was a victor over death. And that's a really nice thing that Psalm 91 was not an excuse for Jesus for avoiding the cross like we maybe try to do. It was not an excuse to say, well, I'll skip that. Instead, it was the reason for him to go to the cross. Because by dying for us on the cross, he could fulfill and expand the promise he made in Psalm 91. Because Psalm 91, without an eschatological and eternal perspective, is just momentary gain. It just says, okay, you're going to be fine, but then death is going to come, and that's the end. Instead, Jesus, by fulfilling on the cross the promise of Psalm 91, he extends it and gives another perspective. He opens it to eternity and says, not only am I going to be there for you in life, not only am I going to look for you and give you promises you can live on, but I will also completely fulfill them in eternity because I died for you on the cross. And that's more than a promise. It's more than nice verses. It's more than a few words we can recite and hope that they work. It's an eternal word, a provision we can really live by. And that's one of the best things we can actually have and understand from the Bible. A few years after I was shot in Syria, I was working in Russia. Uh, It was during the... um, Crimea crisis and I was actually in Ukraine and doing some interviews and suddenly I was arrested by the Russian Bureau of Investigation and they put me in a van brought me over the Russian uh, border and then I was there, solitary confinement in Russia alone, in darkness, it was cold and they wanted me to, and they arrested me because they say that I was um, not only a spy, but I was, also, um, I was also, also trying to stop the investigation of the police. And that would mean that I would spend more than 20 years in Russian prison. And that was really, that was actually for me worse than being shot. I mean, when I was shot, I had incredible fear that I could get an infection. I knew how the medics were working in Syria and that would have meant that the best situation that could have happened to me was that I would just lose my leg. But now I was in Russia, I was alone, I had my family back home, and I said, what's going to happen if I'm going to stay here for more than 20, 25 years? And I was not alone, although I was in solitary confinement, I was not alone. I had some company which consisted of a rat, uh, a few cockroaches, and I really had a difficult time actually to understand how to get some sleep while both the rats and the cockroaches were trying to uh, feed off me. Because, well, they were, just as I was really hungry because the food was bad... Their food was even worse, I guess. So (laughs) they had some fresh, uh, some some, a fresh young guy there, and they hope, well, maybe finally we're gonna get something to eat properly. So I was in that problem. I was in that situation. And back, and then again, I remember Psalm ninety-one, and this one, and this time, it was it was the verse twelve and thirteen, and verse thirteen says, "You will treat on the lion and the cobra." In my case, it the actually the rat and the cockroach. <laughs> so you will treat the lion, the cobra, the rat, the cockroach. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. And practically, that's a really odd situation, but Psalm 91 really inspired me how to get out of the situation to get rid of the rat and the cockroach. <laughs> so I remember Psalm 91 said, you will trample the great lion and the serpent. I said, all right. Uh, let's do some biblical, let's put it really into action. How can I get rid of the rat and the cockroach? So I couldn't trample on the cockroach because uh, that's not how cockroaches work. They're really resistant and you just can't hit them with the shoe because um, it's going to get worse because they, then the worms come out of the cockroach and they're going to multiply and so on. I, and I couldn't trample a rat because, well, rats are fast. So what I said, "Okay, trample. What's the alternative to trample?" And uh, well, that's a bit odd. I just want—I know you're going to eat today, but well, I hope that part you will forget. So the only thing I was really able to do, I said, "Okay, I have the only possibility for me is to kill the rat, so that the cockroaches are not going to go for me in order to get some food, but they're going to go to eat the rat, and so I'm going to have a few days rest until they obviously eat the rat." And so I had nothing, it was quite dark, I had no instrument I could kill a rat, and so I did the only thing possible. I tried to hit the rat while sitting on it with my palm. <laughs> and God was with me in that situation. He was, and I was successful. Hallelujah. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I really tread the lion, the cobra, the rat, and the cockroach in that situation. Really thankful for, thankful for that. And that was another situation where we saw, okay, so there's more to the Word of God than I actually thought. God really is putting those verses for us so we can learn something. It's not just a spell. It's not something you can say and everything is fine. In, although the situation was odd... I had to implement the verse in my life. I had to practice it. <laughs> and that's what I actually also want to transmit to you. It's not only that we have to understand that the promise of God is not just for now, but it's from an eternal perspective. We also have to live it. We have to do whatever the Scriptures tells us. It doesn't help to come to church because, well, that's the ritual we're in. One day a week and go to church and everything is going to be fine. That just works just like a magic spell. And that's not how faith works. It's a bit more complicated. We have to do those things. And Psalm 91 does not mean that nothing is going to happen to us. In fact, I think Paul in, second, in First Corinthians says it in a really wonderful way how we have to endure pain and life and how difficult life can be sometimes. And that's just something I want to read to you. And it's in Second Corinthians 4, eight and Paul says, and Paul was quite an ill man, he was getting old, he, has a lot, he had a lot of pain because he writes in the letters that he had pain. He had endured sufferance, persecutions, had been hit and tortured, and he writes, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Incredibly realistic words. We are hard-pressed in our lives. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. Struck down. But we are not destroyed. And I want to remember you today. remember to you and remember to me. That although we are in difficult situations. Maybe life isn't working out exactly how we plan to do. Maybe our husband is not as perfect as we imagined he would be once we would go to Christ. Maybe our children do not behave. Maybe our children are in jeopardy and uh, they're at risk. Maybe we are ill. Maybe we, we lost a job. There are other things that can go wrong in our life. And I, would to, I want to encourage today... I want to encourage you and I want to encourage me to grasp the hope of the Holy Scripture. To take it word by word, to study it and to live it. Not to repeat it as an insurance, but to live it and stay in our faith in Christ. Faith is complicated, it's not easy. No one ever said it's easy. It doesn't mean we can take it apart and just stay by the rituals of Christian life. We have to live it and endure our faith. And I really hope that step by step we can come to that point where we realize that Psalm 91 has really touched us the reality of our life. And when we read the first verse of Psalm 91, we can really realize it. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And that's not just mere words. It's reality lived through faith. Amen.